everyone. This is Ali Amagasu, welcoming you to the latest episode of Cloud Unfiltered. Today's guest comes from Datadog. His name is Ilan Rabinovich, and he is the VP of Product and Community. Welcome, Elon. Thanks for having me, Ali. I appreciate it. Full disclosure, Elon and I have known each other for a little bit, back from when I used to work at MetaCloud. He was with Uyala, and they were a customer of ours. That's how uh, I got to know him through some of our interactions. And uh, he was certainly friends with uh, our previous co-host, Nikki. So he was on, Cl uh, what was it called? Uh, I don't Meta remember. Uh, OS Pod. Oh, yeah. Open, the OpenStack Podcast. Yeah. It's been a long time, though. And yep. a lot has gone on. And we know you're still super involved with um, things that are of interest to our community and, and of interest to me personally. So let's start with scale. The Southern California Linux Expo. It happened a few weeks ago. I know you are deeply involved as one of the organizers, if not the lead organizer of this mm. event. Um, can you tell me a little bit about uh, what's going on there, how the event went, what were kind of the big highlights? Sure. Um, so Scale's a, an open source focused uh, co conference that we've been running for about 16 years. Uh, now, this was our 16th annual event. Uh, and so we uh, a couple of years back, we moved to Pasadena, so now we hold it in Pasadena each year, and we, we we're generally open source open source focused. But um, so all kinds of different topics. But you know the the latest and the latest topics tend to bubble towards the top and get attention. So uh, you know we had a DevOps Day LA was hosted hosted with us. We had um, you know a number. Uh, we, we the Postgres community runs their uh, runs run, runs their West Coast event at scale, among other things. So mm. it's about 150 exhibitors, a couple little, little over 120 talks over the course of four days at the Pasadena Convention Center, uh, and it's a lot of fun. It's not. It's a bit. It's uh, you know a little bit of a pun, but it's scaled quite a bit since we started it uh, when we were all just like freshmen in college, and we thought. Uh, we you know we'd like it. We wanted an open source conference near us, and we were all in Southern California. So we thought, how hard could it be? Uh, I don't think we all realized we'd be spending the next like eight months of our lives for the next sixteen years putting this conference together for you know for our four thousand closest friends and family. Uh, so it's, I did it's, not realize you were one of the founders of it. I just yeah. thought you were somebody who jumped in the way open source guys are jumping in on stuff all the time. Uh, I mean, yeah, it was just a group of friends. We what we wanted when we started this up. We were most of us were in college, and we thought. There just weren't enough technical conferences in the LA area. Uh, there definitely wasn't anything at open source focused. Um, there wasn't a lot of open source development happening in Southern California. And so we wanted to see, you know, there were people that we wanted to have that were in the Bay Area or based internationally that we wanted to see talks by. And we thought, well, if, you know, we can't get them to our meetups, but if we run a conference, a conference is an important thing. They're going to have to come to this conference. <laughs> uh, turns out it's not as easy as that, but it, but, it, but it worked out pretty well. And so it's most of the crew is still the same crew from 16 years ago. Uh, the, it's just gotten bigger. So I think when we started, we were maybe five or six people. And now we're, uh, you know, there's the core group of about a dozen of us. Uh, probably by, by the time you get to the day of the show, there's maybe 60 to 70 people that have their hands in making uh, making it happen, everything from building out the network to scheduling the talks to introducing speakers. And so it's a, it's a full, it's all volunteer run. Uh, so some highlights from this year, uh, we had a keynote by uh, John Gossman, who's the, uh, one of the, was the lead architect for, uh, for Microsoft's Azure platform. Um, and it's very cool. Yeah. It's, it's, it was, a, it was a lot of fun. He talked about the Microsoft's journey from, sort of the, the era of the Halloween papers and Linux as a cancer to how they got there today. Um, and so as we were chatting with them, it was important to me that, uh, so I, as we were trying to chatting with a team about what keynote we wanted, uh, we were trying to come up with something that uh, that everybody could agree on. It's always a very contentious topic. What should the keynote be? And I, I pr we proposed this idea of, well, what if we got Microsoft, not to tell us like, not to come on, on stage and show, to show the, here's a slide that says we love Linux and move on, but rather to, to tell us how they went from being 
you know, being an open source foe to, to, to really one of the organizations that doing some of the most interesting things in open source these days with uh, folks like Brendan Burns on Kubernetes or the Deus acquisition that they've done, uh, or a lot of the other, you know, a lot of the other con uh, projects that they've worked on. Uh, and so we were, I was, that, that was a fantastic talk. Uh, what did he say? What, how did they make that, that pivot? I mean, sometimes it seems to me as somebody who's worked for some of the Silicon Valley behemoths that it, it's hard to turn them in a new direction once they're, you yeah. know, they, once I mean, they're kind of established, it gets really hard for them to do something as new as Microsoft did. It still dazzles me that they yeah. made the switch. Um, so I mean, it wasn't. It was definitely. I, I don't want to put words in John's mouth, but it was. It, it was very clear from his talk that it wasn't an overnight turn. Uh, a lot of what he talked about was how they are developer. You know, they're 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 a company that builds tools for developers. And if they wanted to work with the, you know, the, the short story was if they wanted to work with developers and developers were defaulting to open source, then, you know, they don't have much of an option. Um, similarly, if they wanted to succeed in the cloud, you know, there's not, uh, you know. If developers want to be writing applications for Linux, if they want to be working with open source databases like Postgres, that you know Microsoft wants to be there where developers want it to be, uh, and I I don't think it was an easy transition for, and I don't think it's an easy transition for an organization of that size, right? You you sort of indoctrinate everybody in a very specific way of thinking over uh, over decades, and it's uh, it's it's hard to change change that mindset overnight. Um, so it's you know he talked a little about that journey and how they got from point A to point B. Uh, and some of the challenges that they encountered. And I, 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 I thought it was quite insightful. The talk's online on our YouTube channel, uh, youtube.com uh, slash SoCalLinuxExpo, and I'll, I'll give you some links for the show notes. I, I'd encourage folks to watch it. I'm going to watch that one. Yeah. That sounds great. I mean, at, right now, I could, I could talk with you about it for the next 40 minutes. I mean, did, yeah. they hire, did they hire in all new people, or did they, like, did he give any? I'm sure he gave detail, but... yeah. Uh, I mean, just, did everybody come to church and say, hallelujah, uh, the existing team is going to turn it around or was it, no, we need to bring in new thinkers. Uh, I think it was, I think it was a mix of, I think it was a mix of both. And I mean, knowing a lot of folks that are in the open source offices at, at Microsoft uh, these days, I mean, some of it is people coming in. some of it was new people. Some of it's people that have been there forever, sort of uh, trying to, trying to win hearts and minds and change the tune of things. Uh, their CEO, Satya uh, uh, Nadal, you know, clearly at, at some of these types of things have to come from the top, and he's he's definitely uh, been working on reminding the company you know, the, the company about this idea that you are developer focused, not necessarily uh, focused on particular particular products or particular ways, but in terms of making sure that people are successful as developers. And so, anyways, I don't think that I'd ever thought when I started my my open source uh, career, I never I don't think I'd ever thought I would be saying positive things about how Microsoft interacts with open source, <laughs> right? Uh, and, that, and that's clearly changed a lot. Um, I would say uh, another thing I'll say is that companies change a lot over time. Uh, companies are, you know, the people when when the when the when the people at a company change, the culture at a company changes, and so over. Uh, and I, 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 we we see that in a positive way for the most part at Microsoft now. I've also seen it in a negative way, right? How many times have you worked at a job for three, four, five, six years, and you realize, wait, the company that I joined, the company that I loved, the company that I was sold on, and was sort of diehard about this. Is, whether it was a startup or an established organization, is not the company that I'm leaving. It's not the company or the company that I'm at right now. Um, and so that's I think that's important to recognize. Sometimes we we look at we look at organizations whether you know and we say oh they're the evil empire they're this this crazy giant that's here to destroy me. And the reality is over five six ten years like even or sometimes even shorter you've had a, a fairly large refresh of the people that are there and the culture has changed. 
Uh, and I, I've seen that for both for both for good and for and for bad, both in the community and in my own career as I work places. So uh, I don't, you know, I, I guess what I'll say is that uh, uh, at the start of this, I was, you know, I was very, very new to the workforce and probably didn't realize that was the case. And after, you know, 15, 16 years working at companies of, you know, at, at companies large and small, I realized that this is uh Companies aren't people. Like it's not an individual. So it's, the company itself is not a person who you can say, "Ah, oh, that is your opinion." It's it's a um, it's a mix of you know hundreds or thousands of people that have come together to do a thing. And as those people change, the company you know the company itself changes too. So it's um, you know that's why that's one of the reasons why culture is such an important part of what we do in our organizations and making sure that there's an uh, established set of cultures and norms that we that we reinforce as as we move along. Um, otherwise, you, you lose your way. I'm going to ask you about your organization in a minute. Sure. But before we leave um, scale and discussion of that, why did you guys choose Linux back then? Was uh, it just the new hotness at the time? I mean, I think we were, there was definitely a, uh, you know, well, so for, for me, it was a very practical reason when I first got involved with Linux and open source. It was, uh, we, we finally got some broadband internet access in my, my neighborhood there in LA, and we had a couple computers, and I got tired of, uh, you know, I guess first world problem, but I got tired of having to, sh you know, to, to take turns at the computer that was connected to the internet. And so I thought, started doing some research online and realized I could build myself this, this Linux router thing with, uh, with IP chains at the time and, 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 and get, get, be able to stay online longer uh, rather than fighting my siblings for access. And that's sort of what got me started and at user groups and what have you. But from there, I really, uh, you know, started to discover a lot of things I loved about about open source and about the collaboration that that is involved in and building these things. And uh, I got excited about the Linux desktop. My friends were in a, in a similar place, and we, uh, you know, we were. I think there was at the time there's probably something like 15 Linux user groups strewn about the Southern California area. There was an install fest every five minutes. Like it was, it was a very popular topic at the time, and we we enjoyed it. And so I think you. Uh, where you find your community, where you find your group of friends, where you find the what you're connected with—that's that's where you end up. Where you end up focusing, and uh, we we all believe passionately in in this topic of open source and free software. So we 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 scale came out of that. So so now it's not purely about Linux, though, right? I think the name's a little bit deceptive because when I hear yeah, it, I'm like, I, they're just getting together and they're talking about Linux and how much new stuff could be going on with Linux. That's a so, side. Yeah, so there's stuff. there's definitely a ton of new things going on in Linux, but I would say that. I don't think scale was never about Linux specifically. I mean, the name was Linux in the same way that we used to go to Linux users groups and you would talk about lots of things on top of Linux. So you might go to a Linux user group and spend a bunch of time talking about MUT, which is a mail client that would run on Linux, but it could also run on other operating systems. It just happened to be open source. You might talk about, you know, the Apache web server or Nginx or a bunch of other technologies. Um, you know, the goal, I don't know that the goal was ever Linux specifically. It was, you know, talking about, it was solving interesting problems with open source software. Uh, Linux on the desktop happened to be happened to be one of them. Uh, Linux on the server happened to be one of them, and so you'd sort of uh, work around from there. But we have talks about FreeBSD. We have talks about Kubernetes. We have talks about uh, you know uh, around. Uh, we have a whole mentoring track which talks about how folks can get you know how how folks can grow uh, you know themselves both career wise but also within the open source community how they can how we can foster. Uh, new members to join us, so it's uh, it's all um, it's all over the place, right? The goal, the topic is open source, but I don't, I haven't really come up with a good acronym. You know, the team hasn't really come up with a good acronym for 
you know, for op- Southern California open source, you know, something, something, right. right? Scale, scale just sort of uh, fell off, you know, rolled off the tongue. Although even scale, we started off as Southern California Linux Expo and it took us a year or so before we started calling it, you know, but started focusing on, focusing on the scale name, which I think is, uh, I don't know, Southern California Linux Expo is a very, very much a mouthful. So um, it is. Yeah. Scale, scale works, but I do think, you know, I, I bet there's other people out there who are like, oh, you know, I'm into open source, but I'm not a big Linux guy. I don't know. Maybe everybody in the industry knows. Um, um, you- I think, I think we've built our, I think we built sort of our reputation up at this time. And, you know, folks that recognize this as scale probably recognize that we're not only Linux focused, but we probably could do a better job of making that, making that known. So you said in the beginning that part of the reason you started it was, you know, you're feeling a little bit isolated down in the LA area from all the goings on in Silicon Valley yeah. and, how do you feel about you know the growth of that? Um, is has has the community really exploded down in LA, or is it just kind of expanding at a crawl? I mean, I live um, down here, so I have an opinion on it. But so up to yours. Yeah. So I'll, I'll 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 to be to be honest, I, I I moved away from LA probably about eight years ago, so <laughs> I I can't speak to. It's hard for me to speak necessarily to what the LA tech community looks like on a day to day basis. Uh, but as an outside observer and as somebody that, you know, is involved from, I, you know, I come down, I'm back in LA for uh, about a month every year around scale, mm. give or take either a couple weeks before, a couple weeks after I come in for scale planning, things like that. But as I talk to friends, as I talk to that community, as I help with planning the event, uh, I would say LA has changed quite a bit. Uh, it used to be that I was lucky if I could find a tech meetup a night. Now there are so many meetups in the LA area, I can't possibly go to all of them on a single night if I wanted to. Uh, you know, uh, I would say the the Santa Monica, Playa Vista, you know, I, I, people seem to like to call it Silicon Beach. I'm not a big fan of, of those types of names, but that's what it is. Uh, you know, that, 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 that area has picked up quite a bit. Um, the, you know, the Pasadena where area where, where MetaCloud was and where the scale, you know, scale is now uh, and that whole Caltech area. I mean, they call themselves the city of art and sciences for a reason, right? There's a ton of tech startups there. Um, so I think it's, I think it's, I think LA is, uh, changed quite a bit. What I'd say though is, if I drive down the freeway in the Bay Area, uh, if I were to drive down the freeway in the Bay Area, everywhere I look, there's a sign for some tech-related thing. Right. I don't see that in a lot of other cities, and I think that's just because, you know, LA has a lot of different things, little, a lot of different industries going on. Uh, they're not all this. It's not just tech. Whereas I think in you know some other places where, where that we think of as like the, the the you know the tech hubs, it's like they they've they've got one thing. Uh, LA yeah. just has a lot of different options. Uh, I mean, I'm actually based in New York these days where Datadog is. Uh, and it's similar. I mean, similarly, like there's enough different, there's a number of different industries here in New York that, you know, while there is a, t- while there is a, a great tech scene here, it's not the only, uh, it's not the only thing the city has going for it. And so you don't, it's not maybe as, uh, maybe not as noticeable or as visible because you walk, you know, you walk a block and you see something else. Um but I, 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 I would say, yes, the LA area has grown quite a bit. And I, I, I can see that just with attendance of scale, right? We see more people coming, more talks being submitted, more, more, more interest from, uh, from attendees and from sponsors and from exhibitors. So. Well, thanks for giving us a summary on that. And I'll yeah. be excited to get the links, uh, especially to that keynote. But I'll post um, you know, as many links as you'd like in the show notes about sure. whatever you think the most interesting talks were. Um, uh, I want to ask you now about where you were. Um, when I think Datadog, I think monitoring, but I don't know a ton about uh, the solutions that your company puts forth. Sure. And um, so if you can talk a little bit about that first, um, that would be great. Yeah. So I'm, I'm at Datadog. We're a, uh, we're a, a monitoring and, and observability, observability platform. 
Uh, we help you collect. We help our customers collect metrics, uh, logs, and tracing data from all of their uh, from all of their different applications, their cloud providers, their infrastructure, uh, and we we help to we help folks to be successful through visibility into how their businesses and how their infrastructure and how their applications are performing. Um, and so uh, I, I lead our product and community teams here at Datadog. Uh, before before that, I was a you know when I was when I was your customer at, at MetaCloud, I also happened to be a customer of Datadog and was using them to monitor my own. Uh, monitor my instances running on OpenStack, running on the Meta, you know, the MetaCloud platform. So it's uh, it's it's some, it was a I, I ended up here just because I when when my time at Uyala wrapped up, I you know I was chatting with the folks here and I realized how much I loved the product and how how much easier it had made my life. And I thought I could you know I I, I could I could I could enjoy working on that. And so um, that's 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 how I ended up here at Datadog. Uh, and so these days we my, our goal is just to make that all super simple and easy for you and well connected. So, uh, you know, you might start with, uh, you might think of a situation where you're monitoring an application and you're like, oh, this is this API call is really slow. Well, you could figure that with our tracing, uh, our tracing solution. Uh, from there, you might think, well, is it slow because of the, you know, the, look, it's slow because of some database queries. And you're trying to figure out is that, is that database query itself bad? Is the code bad? Where, like what's going on here? And if you have infrastructure data or log data to tie back there to help, you know, to help figure out where it all is, you can see, you can pivot over there and say, ah, oh, maybe, Maybe the query is not bad. Maybe the disk is just bad, and like I need to, I need to address some hardware issues. Um, but being able to look at it from all those different angles is what Datadog offers you, and uh, we're always uh, uh, we're looking to help you help help you identify those problems before they become problems for your customers, uh, helping you to visualize and, and and establish what success looks like for your organization in the migration to the cloud or to containers uh, or even in your own data center. Um, and so I think yeah, that's 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 in a in a nutshell that's that's where Datadog is focused. Uh, so I, um, I get to I get to work with all of our customers on integrating with all the different open source technologies that we monitor, all the commercial technologies that we monitor, uh, connecting with cloud providers to pull in their metrics. So it's so you're um, not just mon so you monitor it mostly software, or do you monitor hardware as well? Uh, the whole stack, top to bottom. Mm -hmm. So from the op from the hardware up to the operating system, up to your uh, your containers, from there maybe up to your databases and your caches and your queues to the uh, you know the web servers, and then even your own code. So with uh, with Datadog's APM product, uh, you're able, we ha we offer a full distributed tracing solution. Uh, we're open tracing uh, open tracing compiled on several languages that we monitor. We work with Java, Python, Go, Ruby, uh, and so we're able to uh, you know plug in there and see where your calls are spending time, and then you know also show you where uh, where the infrastructure pieces fit in, uh, and and as well as now now with our log platform that we released uh, in early March, we're able to, to able to help you dig in on your logs as well and, and flip between the three pretty easily. What do you think? are the, the most important things for people to be monitoring and measuring within their clouds? Um, so I think people tend to focus on uh, on on their research on, on on the underlying metrics of their cloud providers probably a little too much at first. The most important thing for you to measure is your is is what we would call your work metrics, your business metrics, the things that um, are are good symptoms or, or or proxies for what your customers' experience is like. Um, your customers at the end of the day, they're never going to say, you know, I want my money back because that CPU usage was just way too high on that server. <laughs> uh, what they're going to say is, hey, I made that API call and it kept returning errors or it didn't actually perform what it was supposed to do or uh, it timed out. Uh, and so knowing that is that's that that's that's the first thing you want to focus on. And then from there, you want to work backwards and figure out like, well, what does it take to make that? So we like to think about um, if you think about your application, the analogy that I often use, if you think about your application is like a factory, um, you know, you what you care about is like how many cars come off that assembly line. 
Uh, not necessarily, that, that, or at least that's what your customers care about. They care about how fast they're going to get that, that Tesla. Did they have to wait two years to get it or did it show up or did they just walk into the dealer and, and, and walk away with it? Um, and so that's, that's your, that's the metric that's really defining whether or not you're successful. Um, but then, you know, you can't make that Tesla really fast, like manufacture it very quickly unless you have rubber for the tires or, you know, lithium for the battery or whatever it might say, be. Or lithium for the batteries. <laughs> like, and so you need all these components. And so those are, those are what we would call resource metrics. And you want to dig into those because um, you want to make sure that you're profitable and you're not spending more money or more resources than you need to. Uh, if your work metrics dip or, or spike and you're like, oh, man, I just made a lot more cars. Maybe it's because your code, your process changed and uh, you're able to do you're able to generate more of them now because you're more efficient or um, you've, un, you, you've reduced some waste. And now you have more resources to spend on on making that final solution. And so it's that's. It, it's the same story with web servers, right? Like a web server, what do you output? Well, your product is uh, API calls that return 200s or 500s or 400s. And the resources that go into it are things like memory, RAM, disk, you know, network utilization, things like that. And so if you know the makeup of this thing that you're building, uh, you're in a much better spot to monitor it uh, and, and understand the right the right key metrics. And so I, 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 I can't come to you and say, I know exactly what your key metric is because it depends on your business. Uh, but we make it we make it easy to collect them all uh, out of the box, and usually you're up and running in just a few minutes where you have all the data that you need. Um, and so, uh, so yeah. do you feel like most customers come to you already knowing? Look, these are these are these are the things I want to measure. Do they already know the right things to look for, and they just need the tool to make it happen, or is there kind of an educational process where a lot of times they're excited, they're really eager to measure something, and you're like, mm, that's not really what you ought to be looking at. Um, it's it's a it's a little bit of both. I think what happens is folks folks put Datadog in place and they immediately have a wealth of data at their hands. Uh, and then we you know with our tooling we help them hone in on which of that data is most important to them. Um, the uh, you know the we like to say that collecting data is cheap. Uh, not having it when you need it is the most expensive part. So you can't go back in time and and, and measure something that you've never seen. You know, measure something that you forgot to measure. Um, but, uh, but yeah, we, 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 we run into both, you know, into both situations. Um, uh, I would say there's a lot of organizations out there that still don't have a, a data driven approach to how they measure success, whether it's in their IT world or in their, in the business world. Uh, and that's, uh, you know, that's something that we get to, uh, you know, as organizations are, are, are transforming themselves into, uh, in, in this online world. And I, you know, folks like to use the word digital transformation, but as they're, as they're moving into this, in, into this, uh, into this digital world, they, they start to realize that metrics are important. Um, how do you know if those projects are successful? How do you know if your, your services are working? How do you know if your customers are happy? Uh, and that's where platforms like Datadog are, are, are helpful. Is there, a particular, is there a particular vertical or industry that you see doing a really good job of adopting this? Or, or is there a sweet spot for you guys industry-wise? Um, you know, it's, it's all over the place. I mean, if uh, we work with banks, we work with insurance companies, we work with your favorite Silicon Valley startups, um, you know, it's it's really anywhere where you need, uh, where you want, you know, intuitive, easy to use tools that give you a lot of power around your metrics and around your data. That's that's where Datadog is. So uh, we want to make it so that uh, you can do very complex, very, very complex monitoring situations without having to necessarily be uh, a mathematician or a statistician or a quant in and of yourself, uh, while still offering them the ability to do that if they if they want to. So we're we tend to do very well in, in in any organizations where you have sort of dynamic infrastructure, whether it's containers or uh, or the cloud, things like Kubernetes, uh, where stuff's moving around on you a lot. Um, by by focusing by helping you focus more on your services rather than individual hosts or individual 
resources and sort of working, starting from that point and working your way uh, back to the back to the underlying infrastructure. Uh, we we find that folks are able to get a much better experience in, in, in that world. So, what about healthcare? I guess this would fall under public sector, but are you? See- uh, I wouldn't necessarily fall under public sector, actually. But are you yeah, seeing no, any adoption we, there? We see. I mean, we see. The thing is, I mean, you you being being uh, uh, you know being focused on the cloud yourself. I think we've sort of all seen that everybody everybody seems to be moving towards towards this idea of infrastructure as a service or platform as a service. Uh, in all industries, some industries are a little bit slower. Some industries are a little, you know, a little faster. Uh, some just, you know, dive right in. Others want to take a measured approach. Uh, but wherever it is, once you get there, you realize that your infrastructure is changing on you all of the time, and you can't just assume that like you're going to monitor this thing that you've you named after your favorite TV character and right. it will always be there. You know, you get assigned your server on your first day, and it will be yours until the end of time. These things are changing on you all the time because you don't. You no longer care about the infrastructure. What you care about is the services that it provides your customers. And so, um, you know, all of those organizations are the types of folks that we're are are, are are organizations that we try to work with. It's not a specific vertical per se. But okay, that makes sense. Hey, you touched on Kubernetes for a second, and yeah. um, I know uh, you talked about it being kind of you know part of something that's being discussed at scale, and and something that it's certainly discussed, you know, on a daily basis if you're dealing with any kind of cloud. Um, yeah. Uh, tell me what your thoughts are on that. And I, I, we talked a little bit earlier before the show about um, some studies you've seen, or I don't know if you commissioned them or if you just read them about yeah. container adoption. So um, share, what yeah. you, share what you know. For sure. Um, so yeah, Datadog, um, you know, being a, being, we're, we're a SaaS monitoring platform. So we have visibility into a lot of what, how our customers are using different technologies. And so in a very, you know, highly okay, anonymous. See, I'm not going to interrupt, but somebody's walking behind you with like a beer cart <laughs> out the window. Maybe uh, it's, it's not beer. It's, uh, it looks like orange juice and milk. Somebody is. Uh, I'm, I'm right by our the office uh, cafe, and I guess they're resupplying. So. Okay, I was going to tell you, reach out. The beer cart's going by. I don't know what time yeah. it is in New York, but uh, uh, yeah, getting close to closing time. Anyway, yeah. Um, so yeah, we uh, you know Datadog being a, a monitoring a monitoring service, uh, we're able to work with our customers and, and have a pretty good visibility into technology trends in the industry uh, in, in almost real time. And so uh, a couple of years ago, we started running. Uh, you know, we started running an annual uh, container adoption study, where we looked at how you know how organizations were uh, uh, were taking you know how organizations were adopting containers, and you know is it is it all those you know those those Silicon Valley tech crunch you know hacker news you know the startups that you hear about every day, or was it you know established organizations? And so we started to dive in. Some of this was for our own purposes of just you know product research. It's important to know what's being used so that we can build the right things for our customers, and some of it's um, you know, some some of it's because we want to, you know, we want to we want to see if there's interesting trends or interesting learnings for success as to how to, you know, how to how to adopt these technologies. And so we, we found some interesting interesting stats there. Uh, among other things, we found that you know large organizations are actually the ones that seem to adopt you know Docker Docker and containers most quickly. Uh, we see similar things around orchestration. So we put out two studies. Uh, more most recently, uh, the one was, was one uh, called uh, Eight Emerging Trends in Container Orchestration. Uh, I'll drop a note for you to put in the show notes if you'd like. Uh, we took a look at things like ECS and Kubernetes adoption and 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 where folks were using it. Um, so uh, things that we find that have been really interesting are just the types of technologies that folks are even using in containers. The uh, sort of the canonical or com- com- common wisdom is that folks are doing mostly stateless work in, in orchestrators. And as we as we dove in, we found that like yeah, web servers like Nginx were pretty popular in there. Uh, but we also saw, you know, be- below that was a ton of data source, things like 
Postgres and RabbitMQ and, and MySQL and MongoDB, where I, you know, I, I, on first glance, I didn't expect those to be in the top 10 technologies folks are using, but uh, I, I figured the persistence issues might, 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 might be, might, might, may, might be the first challenge there, but uh, it turns out that they're even, um, whether you're an orchestrator or not, those are still some of the most popular technologies out there for customers. So we, we dove in and, and kind of looked at a bunch of those different stats and it's, uh, it's been it's been it's been it's been interesting to see uh, when folks what do folks agree with or disagree with as they look at their own environments. But um, there's there's some interesting trends there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, I, I we talked a little bit earlier about Cisco Container Platform. I know the listeners on this show have heard that you know we launched it and it's um, it's based on Kubernetes and we're partnering partnering with uh, Google to launch a, a hybrid cloud. Uh, it's more of a long term. Uh, thing that's coming along, but mm. it's interesting to me. Um, what are your thoughts on the state of this whole hybrid cloud, multi-cloud adoption thing? Um, do you have an opinion about what's going on right now and what really is a best practice that you're seeing out there? Uh, I, I mean, I think at the end of the day, it, it comes down to what's most important for your organization and where and where your where your expertise is, right? So, if you have the team, if you have the team and expertise and the knowledge for how to build, you know, build and manage your own data center. And do it at scale. That's that's great. You should, you know, if that's the most cost-effective way for you to do it, that you know, you should. If you're, so you're saying build your own private cloud. Yeah, sure. It kind of have, functions like it, like a public cloud. If you have the if you have the tooling and the team to do that, I I don't, you know, and 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 you can, and that's where you want to focus your business. There's no reason why you should not do that. Um, you do have challenges though of you know, uh, there's not unlimited resources in the public cloud either, but you know, there you you have more finite resources in your own in your own private cloud. You have to think about. A lot more about things like uh, when to acquire new hardware and you know capacity planning and the like. It's not it's not 15 minutes to get a server from Amazon or from Google. It's or you know 15 seconds maybe. It's you know maybe it may be it may be two to three months to get it from Dell or HP or Cisco or whomever has to you know push it off an assembly line and ship it to you. Um, so there's there's those considerations. There's the accounting considerations that I mentioned, capex versus opex and uh, and the like. Uh, but it's uh, I think at the end of the day, for most organizations, that ends up being a hybrid story, right? So if you go back to what, you know, with Uyala, when we were working with, with MetaCloud, uh, we found that we had a, we were born in the cloud, had, had lived in, in, in AWS for quite some time. Turns out some of the places where we wanted to have a data center and needed a presence, the cloud providers didn't have it yet. So we partnered with somebody to build us, you know, to, to help us build us a private cloud. Um, you know, in other in other situations, maybe it's not it's not a geographical requirement. Maybe there's some uh, some hardware or soft some some hardware profile that you're looking for that you can't get from the cloud providers. Uh, maybe it's uh, maybe 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 there's other business considerations. But I think the the, the short what I'm trying to get at is that uh, each organization should look at what they're trying to do, you know, what they're trying to accomplish and what where their where their core competencies are, and and work backwards from there. As to what to use, I, I I hate jumping into you know whether it's with my clients uh, on the side or with you know or with with Datadog customers coming in and you know the first the first answer is never cloud the first answer is never on prem the, you know it's it's we should be focusing on uh, what you want to do as a business and I, I think there's there's compelling reasons for both so that's a great answer I've been reading a lot about um, folks not folks companies um, kind of repatriating workload workloads from public to private cloud. That it is a trend of sorts, but um, uh, can you think of a use case like the best use case you can think of for doing that? Like, why would you do that? Um, you know, I, I again, it, I, it depends on it depends on your situation. Uh, in the case of Uyala, for us at the time, 
uh, we were in a spot where we couldn't get the IO, you know, the, the, the IO um, performance and economics that we wanted in, in, in AWS. And so we ended up, you know, we ended up, one of the things we ended up doing is building out a data center where we had, where we did have access to things like SSDs and other components that, that weren't available in the cloud at the time. That's, that's changed quite a bit. Uh, I think you look at, you also look at organizations like, uh, you know, Dropbox recently, you know, they recently had their, um, their IPO here, but you know, there's the, over the last year or so their the big story with them has been repatriation of their data out of S3 and out of EC2 into, into their own, into their own data centers. So, um, it, it's really about doing your own economics and, and your, your, your own accounting and your own economics and figuring out what the right choice is for you based on, on your needs. And I, I know that sounds like a, that's a very boring and uncontroversial answer <laughs> probably and not what you were looking for, but that's, it's uh, the truth. I, I mean, it's the, it's the truth. It's, it's the same reason why, uh, you know, a younger version of me might've said, let's jump on, you know, hacker news every day and figure out what the latest technologies. And that's what I'll build my software on today. Uh, I, you know, having, having now having done this for a number of years, I'm like, well, let's, Let's, it's it's probably not about the tech first. It's about the solution first, and let's start there. Uh, and that's it's a similar story with 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 cloud providers. I um, you got you got to do what's right for your business. Um, cool. Well, hey, we're we're running out of time, but I do want to ask you another question before uh, before we wrap it up. And that's um, coming back to um, cloud measurement. Mm -hmm. uh, what do you feel is kind of the next thing coming with that? What's the what's the the new capability that you're excited about? Is there something on the horizon that most um, cloud monitoring companies can't monitor right now, but they will be able to soon? It won't it be neat? So that specifically to, to cloud monitoring, and then just in the larger world of tech, what do you feel like is the next exciting thing on horizon on the horizon? Not that you you, you have yet, but that's coming. Yeah. Um... You know, I think uh, I think all of the cloud providers are sort of upping their upping their game when it comes to the granularity of the data that they provide, the the recency of the data that they provide, and uh, you know the, the the amount of metadata that's associated with it. And so we're just we're just seeing them uh, in, in, improve that quite a bit. And as they do, we we like to be there and, and collect it right away. Uh, I think uh, what what are when I talk to when I talk to our customers that are going multi cloud, whether it's you know picking something like uh, you know, some of the some of the regional clouds in China or Asia where they have to be local there or in Europe. Um, you know, one of the things that they're looking for is tools that tools and products that can connect to all of those different clouds rather than being specific to, you know, specific to one. Um, so that's I think that's being more and more organizations that are building tooling around this are going to need to build tools that are um, multi cloud literate and multi cloud capable, um, whether that's on prem or, or, or one of these public cloud offerings. Uh, in the in the in the world of just tech in general, uh, you know, right now we're in this Kubernetes and Docker craze. Where if it, if, you, if you use the word Kubernetes or the word Docker around it, we we all pick everybody gets excited, and you you can fill a room or or get a talk accepted or 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 probably <laughs> or, 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 or probably or, 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 or probably pick up an investor somewhere or whatever it might be. Uh, that's the excitement. Uh, I think uh, we're going to start. More and more people are going to maybe not be as excited about the under that underlying technology, which it is that technology is important. But they're going to start to focus on um, higher level services that they're able to build with it and the capabilities that it gives them. Um, and that's, I mean, that's a similar story to what we had with you know Linux 16 years ago, right? We were all excited about Linux, and then we were all excited about the things that we could build on top of Linux with the, uh, you know, with some of the open source stacks. And now we're all excited about containers, which is another level up. We're just always, I think at the end of the day, you're always looking for how, how these things, you should be looking for how these things provide you value, uh, not necessarily about the excitement of Kubernetes. And so we saw that to some extent in the keynotes at KubeCon this year in, in Austin, most recently in Austin, 
right? Where um, Kelsey and others talked about Kubernetes the boring way. It was not, you know, not about uh, not about all the latest and greatest features that might be showing up there, but rather about the workflows that people were able to build and how they were able to make their businesses better by by building on top of on, on top of you know ideally fairly boring releases and fairly boring products, right? Exciting. Exciting probably means you're up late at night fixing something broken. So, <laughs> <laughs> quote of the day: Exciting means you're up late at night fixing something broken. So, oh well, thank you so much for for being on the show today. Yeah, um, I know you me. go to a lot of shows and talk a lot. You got anything coming up soon where folks can catch you live or catch pay a visit to Datadog if they're interested? Yeah. Um, so Datadog is at a lot of different conferences. Uh, my next talk is. Uh, I've taken a little bit of a break from the talk scene, but my next talk's coming up at uh, at OSCON in in Portland in uh, in uh, later this summer, uh, and I'll be focusing again on uh, on Kubernetes uh, Kubernetes adoption uh, uh, adoption um, uh, patterns. So, so you use uh, that technique to get your talk accepted. You just threw Kubernetes in there. And... That is probably the third slide in my deck is a joke about how if I say Docker, I can get a talk in anywhere. It's not actually. <laughs> It's not actually true. I try to, you know, that's 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 it's, but it's um, it, it 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 resonates well. Usually, it gets a laugh. So, uh, but yeah, that's that's the plan for OSCON. Um, and then yeah, I think just uh, taking taking a little break from the talk scene for for once. It was uh, spent the last three years basically as a working with our community and evangelism team here at Datadog and. Uh, now I'm getting. Now I'm focusing a little bit more internally on on the products that we build. So yes, I think of you as a conference presence. <laughs> um, if folks want to want to uh, follow you online, what's your Twitter handle? Uh, I Rabinovich, just first initial last name, and all. Yep. All right. Well, it's been a pleasure talking to you today, today, Elon. Thank you so much for sharing what you know. You definitely covered new ground. We have not had anybody uh, talking about scale or really talking much about monitoring. So. Thanks for uh, walking us through some of the things uh, that we need to be cognizant of when measuring the cloud. We really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Uh, and I hope you'll come back. back. Yeah, anytime. Thanks. All right. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.